Welcome to the White Spring Bunker. These halls were built to safeguard some of the most prestigious members of the United States government. Now we are all that remains. Though we are always looking for men and women capable of helping us restore what has been lost. In return, we offer this, our refuge from the world above. Please, take your time and look around. We've made great efforts to restore this place to its former glory. Welcome, member, to our little enclave. Greetings, members. As always, I am the operative, your designated tour guide and host here at the White Spring. It's been almost a year since Vault 76 opened, and the residents found themselves in an Appalachia none of them recognized. The scorched have loomed large over everything in the region, even as the vaulters struggled to begin rebuilding. The new enclave has risen at the White Spring and spread its influence. But now, after Sunnytop, the colonel realizes they are no longer alone, and the scorched must be dealt with before these newcomers are exposed, infected, and carry the plague to the world. We now learn the history of Operation Beowulf and set the stage for what is to come, a battle to decide whether Appalachia belongs to humanity or the monsters. Report, Sergeant. What did you see? Scorch Beast activity near Watoga. Looks like the bots are getting their attention. Got scorched outside the asylum. Maybe a dozen or so. Okay. Location matches what we found at Camp Venture. So this has got to be Defiance. Hell of a thing. Making a base out of a place like that. By the looks of it, a lot of good it did him. Well, I'll report to command. I want you to take the rest of the team and get a beat on those Scorched. We'll take them out and see if we can find a way inside. Yes, ma'am. New Enclave Team Beta was into their fourth week hiking across Appalachia, following the trail of the group that had called itself the Brotherhood of Steel. After recovering reports from the responders talking about their dealings with the group, the colonel had tasked the team with uncovering as much information about them as they could. Modus had some limited data on what the old Enclave knew about them, but most of the relevant data had been lost during the incident and damaged to Modus's memory banks. The AI was just as eager to find out more himself, if only to fill in the gaps in his own files. So Team Beta left the White Spring to have a talk with Rose. The Raider bot knew a lot more about what happened in Appalachia and could point them in the right direction. As unhelpful as Rose was, she did provide them with a starting point. Brotherhood of Steel? More like a bunch of boring, uptight blowhards. You stuffed shirts have a lot in common. Of course, they had great toys. That nuke my honey David used to blow up the Charleston Dam. The Blackwater Bandits stole it right from under those tin heads' noses. But if you're silly enough to try to find those losers, why don't you start over by Spruce Lake? I heard some of the old raiders. You know, the real ones. Not those fakers downstairs. Say they found some cool stuff that could have been military. So off they went to check out the lake. At first, all they found were a bunch of Mylurks and giant ticks. That was until Corporal Jones, running from a Mylurk camp, fell into the water and discovered a half-submerged cave. Sure enough, it was filled with old papers and recordings, definitely military, and pointed them to a new location in the mire. Another week in the divide and the team descended into the southern part of the mire, to a place called Camp Venture. 
It took over an hour to clear out the scorched and ghouls which had made the area their home, but it was well worth the effort. Team Beta spent the next three days cataloging everything they found at the camp. It was mostly information related to the very beginnings of the Brotherhood of Steel, but it did point them to a place called Fort Defiance, somewhere in the Cranberry Bog. And that had been a week before. Now the team found themselves overlooking the old Allegheny Asylum. Sergeant Tyson vaguely remembered visiting as part of a school trip before the war, and it hadn't looked all that great back then. Nearly 30 years of neglect hadn't improved it either. It wasn't until they got closer that they could see the results of what must have been an epic struggle outside the asylum. The courtyard was ringed with barricades, which in turn were littered with stacks of bones bleached white by the Appalachian sun. Lieutenant had sent the sergeant down to scout, while she and the rest of the team set up a temporary camp on the cliffs above and made their report back to the White Spring. And with the return of the sergeant, and with the scorch beast occupied by Watoga, now was the time to get into the building. Sergeant, take the private down the right side. The corporal and I will take the left. Yes, ma'am. Team Beta split up and got themselves into position. The Scorch weren't very attentive, and the new Enclave soldiers were able to kill most of them with long-range rifle fire. The two survivors had turned and charged towards them, firing pipe pistols. But they didn't last much longer. Anderson listened to see if they'd woken anything else up, but they could hear nothing but the wind blowing through the trees. All right. Secure the courtyard and find a way into the building. But keep an eye out for Scorch Beasts. The team jogged past the piles of bones towards the inner barricades. Whoa, are those suits of power armor? Sure enough, the men could see the remains of T-60 and T-51B suits of power armor amongst the littered corpses and bones. Lieutenant made a circuit of the courtyard and counted more than a dozen of the suits, along with other skeletons and what looked like to be modified army fatigues. Must have been one hell of a fight. It sure was. Take a look at that. Anderson turned to see several large skeletons. Scorch beasts, laid out on the ground or draped over one of the barricades. One was even laying directly on top of the missile battery in the middle of the courtyard. Its launch tube still turned to the sky as the final silent sentinel. Walking through the graveyard of what must have been the final stand of the Brotherhood of Steel, the team found the broken bodies of three knights, what these folks called their power armor-wearing soldiers, who had fallen guarding the doors, while the doors themselves had been knocked inward. The lobby was also covered by the bones of the dead, and the team could easily track the course of the end of the Brotherhood by the piles of shell casings and the bodies of the creatures as they stormed the asylum. All right, team. This place is mighty big and we need to be thorough. We'll start on the first floor and work our way up. Anything that even looks interesting, you pick it up. Got it? The team all nodded and began working their way through the old asylum. By the sound of scurrying above, they could tell they weren't alone, so they were all on their guard. Lieutenant found a note in a holotape left on a bulletin board, written by someone called Scribe Grant. Clearing the asylum wasn't easy. At least half of the building was overrun with ghouls. Lucky for the team, it appeared that the Brotherhood hadn't used that part anyway, so after barricading the downstairs hallway as best they could, the team turned its attention to the other half. Scribe Grant hadn't been kidding when he wrote about the military-grade security on the elevator. However, the sergeant had been on active duty before the war and was able to rig a bypass once he got into the third floor. The whole area was a treasure trove of documents and terminals. They had collected as much as they could, while the lieutenant set about to review at least some of the materials. As she read through the reports, she had to admire these so-called Brotherhood soldiers. They certainly didn't lack guts, fighting against overwhelming number of scorched year after year. She was just about ready to start on the terminal entries when the sergeant came into the room. LT, got an issue upstairs. Show me. 
The lieutenant put the files in her pack and then followed the sergeant up to the fourth floor. So, we were able to bypass the security on the elevator and most of the terminals. But this laser grid, it's not part of the main system. Looks like you need a command ID to get in there. You looked around for one, right, Sergeant? Yes, ma'am. But it looks like it ain't here. Found the XO's terminal, and it says the CO went off on some mission past Watoga and never came back. Wonderful. However, ma'am, Jones has a plan. Jones, what is this plan of yours? Well, if we can't get past the door, who says we have to use it? I can make plenty of doors. Corporal, you've definitely been spending way too much time around Captain Stein. Or worse, the Major. No explosives. We can't jeopardize the materials in there. Don't need to blow up anything. I scrounged up some of those plasma cutters from logistics. They'll cut right through the wall. No fuss, no muss. Aren't those the same ones that can explode? Well, yes, but it'll be fine. <laughs> I'm sure. However, I'll be standing down the hall. Jones just shrugged his shoulders as the lieutenant and the rest of the team backed 20 feet down the hall. If the plasma cutter exploded, oh well, at least it would be memorable. Aligning himself based on what he could see through the laser grid, he put on his welding glasses and ignited the plasma flame. The bright blue flame quickly went transparent, and with a few quick slices, Jones carved a man-sized hole in the wall. The cutter sputtered out and popped, which was enough to startle him, and the instrument clattered on the floor. The lieutenant and her men jumped a little, too, but when they heard Jones' nervous laugh, everyone relaxed. The team walked over and the sergeant pushed against the wall, with the cutout collapsing into the room. Anderson went first and found herself in what must have been Paladin Taggarty's personal quarters. All right, we take everything. Get the files and anything that looks to be of value. I'll check the terminal. As the men started gathering materials, the lieutenant sat down at the computer and turned it on. As she started skimming through the files, she became more and more concerned. Then she got to the final set of entries, and her face turned an ashen white. Sergeant, get me a holotape. We need to get everything we can off this terminal. And we have to get back to the White Spring. As soon as we clear the room, we head out. Ma'am? Are you sure? The Colonel has to see this. It's worse than we thought. We have to head back immediately. Long gone are the days where people sing about West Virginia as almost heaven. After nuclear war and disease, it's far from heaven now. Far From Heaven, a Fallout 76 story podcast, is a tale of survival, conflict and hope set in the Fallout 76 game world. Join our survivors on their journey to reach that almost heaven once more. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon and many other great podcasts and apps. Far From Heaven. Fallout 76 story, available now. Modus, is this everything Beta Team downloaded and recovered from the Asylum? Yes, Colonel. We have summarized the electronic data on your terminal. We are still analyzing some of the more technical information. Thank you. I'll begin my review, and if anything else of note comes up during your analysis, please let me know. 
Most assuredly, Colonel, it appears that this Brotherhood of Steel acquired substantial information regarding the Scorched. It is a pity none of them survived to be interviewed. Not only were they traitors, but failures. We're not going to make the same misguided mistakes. Have you started production of the prototype Advanced Power Armor? Yes, Colonel. However, we have identified several deficiencies in the design and have recommendations for improvements. Understood. Perhaps we should have Sergeant Muller review the design as well. He is our most experienced power armor user, and I'd hate to waste resources building what we have if there are ways to make them better. We agree, Colonel. His expertise could prove invaluable. Complete the prototype, then have Muller take it for a test run. Once we have the changes to the design on paper, we can see about moving to full production, or at least what we can manage with what we have. Agreed? As always, Colonel, we appreciate your logic. And agree. The screen went blank and Valeria could turn her attention back to the stack of documents on her desk and the files on her terminal. As her teams explored Appalachia, they had begun to uncover the tragic story of the region after the war. Each faction tried to survive on their own, none of them cooperating with the others. And when the Scorched came, they were all annihilated. The more they learned about the Scorched, the Plague, and the Scorch Beast, Valeria realized the full threat that they represented. Although they had recovered the Scorched inoculation from ARV Medical, and they themselves were protected from the disease, it didn't change the fact that there were still thousands, if not tens of thousands, of infected people and animals, not to mention the flying bat monsters which threatened everything Valeria was attempting to build. Team Beta had spent several weeks tracking down information on the group calling themselves the Brotherhood of Steel. At their core, they had been a former military unit called Taggarty's Thunder, a ranger battalion assigned to Appalachia for war games just before the bombs dropped. From what they had gathered, this Brotherhood fought a very long and ultimately unsuccessful war against the Scorched from the old Allegheny Asylum in the Cranberry Bog. However, they did leave a treasure trove of information that they had gathered on the Scorched over the years, including a final, last-ditch plan they were never able to implement. Valeria spent the next several hours reading through nearly a decade of reports, notes, and communications kept by Taggarty and her men, all the way up to their final days. It's too bad this Taggarty turned traitor. She certainly didn't like the guts to make the hard choices. But even Valeria could see where she had gone wrong. Taggarty's demands on the civilian population of Appalachia, though tactically sound, were short-sighted and counterproductive. The very people who could have supplied her with vital scientific information and support were instead alienated by the heavy-handed military dictates. It was a mistake that Valeria would be sure not to repeat. There were far better ways to assert authority, ones that her parents had imparted upon her in the years of training in Vault 76. Regardless, it still left the problem of what to do about the Scorched. It was here that she stumbled upon Taggarty's final plan. While Touchdown had failed, she also included a backup plan, one which would require access to the region's nuclear missile silos and a direct assault on the source of the Scorched Plague the Scorch Beast Queen herself. No one had yet set her eyes upon the creature, but Modus, in compiling all available data, surmised that it existed and approximately where it was located, which was also somewhat confirmed by the information they found at the asylum and closer to Watoga as well. Sooner or later, we're going to have to tackle this problem head on. Taggarty might have failed, but I believe she was on the right track. And I'm not going to sit here and wait for the Scorch to decide we're a threat they need to deal with. We're going to do all we can to get ready, because when the time comes, 
The new enclave is going to war. Modus? Yes, Colonel? I'd like you to open a new operations file. Codename, Beowulf. Done, Colonel. May we inquire as to the target of this operation? Well, Modus, we're going to slay a dragon. Hi, I'm Fire Rider, and I'm the host of The Pixel People, a podcast dedicated to taking a close look at our favorite characters from our favorite video games. From major characters who define the course of a game's storyline, to smaller characters who you might have never noticed. Every week, we go beyond the quest line to examine a particular character's story arc and choices, and discover the real-world parallels and life lessons hidden just below the surface. I hope you'll join us. You can find the Pixel People on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. And the servos appear to be underpowered. I identified at least three distinct short traps on the torso, and the shoulder armor limits vision to the left and right. Is that all, Sergeant? No offense, ma'am, but those DIA researchers might have thought they had some good ideas on how to improve the old power armor designs, but <laughs> this ain't it. None taken. However, your blunt assessment presents us with quite a problem. What problem is that, Colonel? Beowulf. I can see by your expression that you've heard of it. Yes, ma'am. The captain, well, he wanted my opinion. And you have objections? Permission to speak freely. Never stopped you before, Sergeant. Out with it. Are you out of your mind? Of course not. Then I might recommend a second opinion. Just getting these vaulters turned soldiers going in the same direction is considered a victory. And now you're planning on marching them halfway across Appalachia to fight the mother of all monsters? And then I hear this plan involves dropping a nuke, too. I mean... I've seen my share of crazy-ass plans in the past, but this is something else entirely. Is that all, Sergeant? On top of the thousand other reasons I can see not to do this, yes, ma'am. We don't have a choice, Sergeant. All we have to do is look around out there and see what the Scorched are capable of. They wiped Appalachia clean, and I don't doubt that they are capable of so much more. Here, you need to read this. The colonel opened one of her desk drawers and took out a thick manila folder. Opening it, she handed a document to the sergeant. This is part of an analysis the Brotherhood of Steel did on the Scorched. Go down about three paragraphs and read. Continent-wide, perhaps global extinction-level event. That was nearly ten years ago, sergeant. And within a few years of that analysis, everyone here was dead or scorched themselves. The only thing standing between them and the rest of the country is us. If we don't deal with them now, then it could be the end of everything. It'll make the Great War look like a leisurely picnic. With all due respect, Colonel, what you're planning is suicide. That's why you're here, Sergeant. Both you and the Captain have more combat experience than the rest of us combined. That's also why I had you do a field test of the experimental power armor. Operation Beowulf is going to happen. However, I want you and the captain to pull it apart and put it back together again. 
I want recommendations for improvements, weapon loadouts, and contingency plans for dealing with whatever else we might find out there. Is that all? Not quite. As I said, I had a very good reason for having you field test the armor. Modus has the capabilities to construct a small number of new suits of power armor. Unfortunately, your report highlights the fact that what we have isn't going to be good enough. Not to go toe-to-toe with Scorch Beasts, and certainly not against the Queen. So your first assignment is to redesign the armor with Modus and get us a production model we can use. My recommendations? My design? I can't think of anyone else who's capable. As I said, we won't be able to build an army of them. Modus calculates we have the materials to maybe build a dozen at the most. So if that's what we have, then I want them to be the best available. And you'll also need to hand-select and train the members who will be our power armor specialists. It's a tall order, Sergeant, but the new Enclave is going to war, and it's one that neither we nor humanity itself can afford to lose. No pressure there, Colonel. Nah, this old warhorse has another good fight left in him. Hell, I always did want to fix all those damn mistakes the eggheads kept making with the old suits anyway. That's the spirit, Sergeant. I can't say exactly how much time we have, so I want you to get started immediately. Modus has reserved space over in the production center, and logistics is under orders to give you anything you need. If anyone complains, especially Captain Reynolds, send them to me. Understood? Yes, ma'am. Good. Dismissed. Sergeant Muller stood and saluted the colonel before leaving her office. His mind was already going a mile a minute thinking of all the improvements he'd like to make to the armor. He also had a name picked out for the new design as well. If they were going to hell to fight, then they'd walk in as devils. Colonel Valeria walked down the hall in the White Spring bunker, a stack of personnel folders tucked underneath her arm. The bunker was a beehive of activity as word of Operation Beowulf's activation spread through the ranks. A formal briefing had been scheduled for the following day, but Captain Stein had already notified the assigned team leaders with a rough outline of the mission, and everyone raced to begin preparations. The colonel had one other assignment to fill, perhaps the most important of them all, and she needed the captain's opinion. Enter! The door slid open and the colonel stepped into the room. Colonel, I wasn't expecting you. I thought you'd be getting ready for the briefing. I've been ready for weeks now, Captain. Ever since Sunnytop. Well... This is it, then. I still think it's a crazy plan, but between Mueller and I, plus what Modus was able to pull together, it's probably not a suicide mission. Maybe. I appreciate the vote of confidence, Captain. All jokes aside, I do get it. Doesn't mean I have to like it, but at the end of the day, it's a job that has to get done. And you're right when you say that it's either them or us. They've done enough damage in this land to last future lifetimes. But I didn't see anything about Charlie. Seems that's the crux of the plan, right? That's exactly why I'm here, Captain. We're taking most of the teams with us to the bog, but without Charlie, the plan just doesn't work at all. Of the members left behind, we need to pick a small group who'd be smart enough, brave enough, and perhaps crazy enough to pull it off. The colonel took the folders out from under her arm and placed them on the desk before taking a seat. I asked Modus to identify suitable candidates. These were the ones he came up with. The criteria was based on skills, experience, and... 
expendability. Expendability? You know as well as I, Captain, that we can't be sure of what kind of resistance the team will run into down there. Getting in might not be difficult, as we have seen with those first errant launches months ago. But getting back out? Even Modus can't calculate those odds. Fine, Colonel. I still don't have to like it. The ends justify the means. Always. Well then, let's take a look at our volunteers then, shall we? Stein picked up the folders and started to leaf through them. These guys. Really? Modus picked them out, and they just so happen to have the right set of skills we need. Corporal MacDonald, also known as Mac, wasn't he in Mueller's power armor squad? He was. Seems to have rubbed the sergeant the wrong way. He passed, but Modus feels we'd be better served having him on Charlie. Well, I heard he's got a thing for nurses. What was that, Captain? Oh, nothing. He's a good fighter, tough as nails, also knows his way around a terminal, according to the file. Next is Corporal Coleridge, Charmer. He's been familiarizing himself with the silo control systems. Obviously. Private Marshal, Doc, trained field medic and fire support. And Sergeant Dye, who's got one of the best combat records against bots in Appalachia. Solid choices. Seems to be the right mix of skill, along with a dose of crazy. So who's going to lead this merry little band? Operative Shadow. Shadow? The big fella? I mean, he's a great infiltrator and all, but... Really, you want to put him in charge? I know, Captain. He's... well... odd. However, he's got more experience getting in and out of secret facilities than anyone else here. He was the one who got us into the DIA black site at Sugar Grove and recovered the archive files, too. And this is classified information, but he's been inside a silo before, even before he showed up here. I'm sorry, Colonel. I think old age may be getting to me. Could you repeat that? Shadow has been in one of the silos? Shadow got himself into Alpha, after almost being eaten by a Yagwai, so he knows the general layout. I can't think of anyone better to get the team to where they need to go. Well, I guess I can't argue with that. Surprised you didn't pick Jones or Thomas. They've already been assigned to their teams. These five have the benefits of already being available and unassigned as well, and expendable if it comes to that. Stein never saw anyone as expendable. There had been enough death to go around, and if there was any way that he could give those men better odds to get out alive, he'd move heaven and earth to do it. Without letting the colonel know, of course. Then it's a solid team. What are you planning on calling this merry band? Team Omega. Colonel, we really need to work on your designations after all this. I don't think I've heard of anything more vanilla than President Chucklefuck's flavor designations for an ice cream party within the bunker. You can imagine how many dissatisfied faces there were. Just collect them, Captain. Modus is going to upload their new orders to their terminals, and the full briefing for Team Omega will be at 1600 tomorrow afternoon. Make sure they aren't late. Yes, Colonel. One last thing. I was speaking with Dr. Harker. He mentioned that having a symbol and identity is going to be vital as we expand. I made a sketch and wanted to get your opinion. Here, let me take a look. Huh. Very interesting, Colonel. I like it. 
and I think the men will like it too. Good, because I've already ordered logistics to begin production. I have a few other meetings ahead of me. You can keep the files and I'll see you down at the commissary later. The captain saluted and watched the colonel leave the office. First Beowulf, and now Charlie. Valeria was betting the future of Appalachia on a single roll of the dice. Both he and Muller had done all they could to craft a plan which had the best chance of success. He looked down at the sketch in his hand and thought to himself, Maybe, just maybe, the old saying would prove true. Fortune favors the bold. Once upon a time, 27 years after the bombs fell, there were two people, a vault dweller and a California girl. They met and sparks flew. That's when things got interesting. Once Upon a Wasteland is their story. Follow Elizabeth Kirby and Odessa Valdez as they pursue their happily ever after in the post-apocalyptic Appalachian wasteland of Fallout 76. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and many other podcasting platforms. Once Upon a Wasteland, a Fallout 76 love story. Available now. So, Mac, what do you think this is all about? What makes you think I got a clue, Charmer? Though whatever it is, as long as it gets Muller off my ass and gets me out in the field, I'm more than happy. Weren't you supposed to get your team assignment by now? Muller's got it in for me, even though he passed me. But something tells me he's getting his jollies off making me feel like I'm on the chopping block. Waiting. Maybe, just maybe, you should have thought twice before you tried to impress that nurse. I heard that Brahmin hasn't been the same since. I did, and Nurse Jacob saw I wasn't just good at bench pressing. Mac, you got issues. Blame my mother, Charmer. She was the therapist in the vault, after all. The briefing room door slid open, and in walked Sergeant Die. Well, I see they told just anyone to come down here, including one of my favorite poker buddies. And you too, Mike. Very funny, Brandon. I see they don't have a height requirement for whatever they're planning. What makes you think they're planning anything? I'm pretty sure this is going to be your court-martial for bench-pressing that Brahmin. In all seriousness, though, I have no idea what they sent me down here for, so I'm in the same boat as you two. Besides, it means I don't have to hear you complaining about Sullivan rigging the deck whenever you get a bad hand at poker. Great. And that ingrate Sullivan owes me a hundred caps. <laughs> He's down in the brig. I think he finally pissed off the wrong people. Little weasel rigs the hands, I swear. Can't get a flush three games in a row in a two-hour span. Three nights in a row. Well, take a seat, Sergeant. Guess we'll find out what's going on shortly. Don't mind if I do. Hey, who's the big silent guy in the corner? Him? Damned if I know. I swear I saw him around 76, but I can't remember his name. Wait, was he that kid that threatened the overseer? That's no kid now. He looks to be as tall as a super mutant. Captain Stein strode into the briefing room, followed closely by Private Marshall. Attention! Private Marshall walked over to one of the tables and took a seat as the captain walked to the front of the room. As you were, gentlemen. I just wanted to make sure everyone was here. The colonel's right behind me, and she'll be the one briefing you today. Sir, what's all this about? 
Corporal, as I said, the Colonel will be here momentarily, so I suggest you all sit down, shut up, and listen. Is that understood? Yes, sir. Looking to join Sullivan, Mac? Shut up. The briefing room door slid open a final time, and the Colonel walked into the room. Before the assembled men could rise to their feet, she waved them down. Time is short, and we can cut the formalities for the moment. I can confirm, with my return from the north, that people have begun to return to Appalachia. We don't have all the details yet, and Modus is still collecting data, but Team Alpha and I made direct contact with at least some of the newcomers. These particular ones weren't friendly, but that's not to say that the rest aren't. Because of this, we have no choice but to activate Operation Beowulf. In three days, the bulk of our men, along with a contingent of Enclave bots and Sergeant Muller's power armor unit, will be marching into the Cranberry Bog to attack the Scorched directly. Yes, Corporal? Any particular reason you're briefing us directly? Normally you only do this with the team leads. Very astute, Corporal. The team leaders have already been briefed, and the rest of the assigned teams are already preparing to leave. You, however, won't be part of that mission. Then why are we here? Beowulf requires a very specific set of circumstances to succeed, and we need a team to make sure those circumstances are met. The screen behind the colonel lit up with an overhead shot of what the new enclave called Silo Charlie, one of the three pre-war nuclear missile silos in the region. Up to now, the colonel had dedicated two teams to seal off the entrances and ensure that no more missiles were launched by errant wastelanders. Your mission will be to secure Silo Charlie by engaging and destroying the robotic defense force, finding the control center, and finally prepping and launching a missile at a target designated in the briefing folders the captain will be handing out to you. You want us to do what? Are you hard of hearing, Private? You all have exhibited exceptional skill during your time here. Between myself, the captain, and Modus, we believe you are the best men for the job. You'll be provided with launch codes and a nuclear keycard. All you have to do is get down there and do your jobs. And you should know, if you fail, you may be responsible for the death of not only our little enclave, but perhaps everyone else in the entire region. Sounds easy enough, Colonel. If it was easy, we wouldn't be sending you. While we don't have a complete schematic of all the defenses, we do know that the silo has its own automated defense force. And since none of the silo caretakers survived, rest assured that you will be considered hostile the moment you step out of the elevator. Fortunately, we do have one asset in our favor. The colonel pointed to the rear of the room. Operative Shadow has personal experience with the silos, which is why he's been promoted to lieutenant and will be leading your merry little band on this mission. The assembled men all turned around and looked up at the big man, who hadn't moved an inch since he propped himself up in the corner. But he did have a sly little grin on his face. I'll leave you all to get further acquainted, and the captain will distribute the mission documents for your review. You are officially designated as Team Omega, and you'll be departing in two days, ahead of the rest of the troops. With that, the colonel turned and left the room, leaving a stunned group in her wake. You heard the colonel men, so it's time to get your asses in gear. Here are your briefs, and I've reserved space for you downstairs to review and get sorted. Is that understood? Sir! sir yes, yes, sir! sir. A light breeze blew across the White Spring Resort, 
but the rustling of the trees was soon overwhelmed by the sound of marching boots, bots, and power armor, followed by the braying of the Brahmin. Lieutenant Colonel Valerius stood at the gate and adjusted her eye patch. Dr. Harefield kept promising that the replacement eye designed by Modus would be ready soon, but so far the prototypes have proven to be less than perfect. And to be honest, Valeria wasn't going to consent to putting just any old piece of tech in her head, so she'd put up with the inconvenience just a little longer. Captain Stein, clad in his gray camouflage scout armor, walked up beside the colonel. I guess we're committed now, aren't we? That we are, Captain. No turning back. Both the captain and colonel watched his eight new Enclave teams, support personnel, Sergeant Muller's power armor task force, and a platoon of Enclave assaultrons filed past and out the main gate of the White Spring Resort before turning south. From behind, Valeria could hear a pair of approaching boots. Turning around, there was Major Lilith, followed by Corporal Cindy. After Sunnytop, the colonel had what would pass as a heart-to-heart conversation with the young woman. Well, it hadn't been easy. Cindy had finally reconciled her actions and committed herself to the new Enclave. After that, she'd finish her training and officially rejoin Team Alpha. One of her first assignments had been to keep Lilith from being late for their briefings and, of course, their departure. Sorry, Colonel, but Lilith insisted on picking up some food on the way out. Of course she did. This is going to be so much fun. Major Lilith was wearing her own suit of scout armor and carrying a large machete while using it as a skewer for a hunk of unidentifiable meat and taking large bites out of it. Lilith, please tell me you packed something to eat other than that. Of course, silly. But I'm sure I'll find plenty along the way. Both the Colonel and Stein rolled their eyes. Eating, as Lilith called it, usually involved things they'd rather not think about. So, Colonel, what do you think of Mueller's new name for the power armor? Black Devil? I find it rather fitting, actually. The changes he made, along with the clandestine paint scheme, it's both intimidating and inspiring. I still prefer X-01. No matter how beat up it may look, it still serves its purpose, at least. Captain's prerogative and all that. At least you let Muller fix some of the more glaring problems. Well, he wasn't going to let another old warhorse take on a giant flying monster in a defective tin can, as he called it. At that moment, Sergeant Muller strode by, turning to throw a salute in his modified T-51B before turning down the road with the rest of his unit. As Valeria watched them go, she wished they'd had more resources to build more than the ten suits of the new armor they had. But if wishes were vertebrates, they would have had an armada of them. She had assigned the designation of Task Force Jaeger to the assembled force. Her men and machines represented the bulk of the firepower available to the new Enclave. The entire mission was a huge risk, If they failed, nothing would stand between the Scorched and the rest of the country. But she no longer had a choice. Stein could see the black cloud of creeping doubt on the colonel's face. He saw Valeria as more the daughter he never had than a commanding officer. So he did what he thought any father would do, and put his hand on her shoulder. Colonel, it's all going to work out. You've done everything you can, and you have all of us. We all know the score, and failure is not an option. Valeria took a deep breath and collected herself, looking back up at Stein. I never fail to plan or plan to fail, Captain. The men know what is required of them, and Modus is keeping tabs on our target area. Colonel. Valeria. It's okay to be nervous. Trust me. Of course I'm nervous, but this is just the start of our journey. Let's talk when we're in the bog. 
Can we please get going? All this talking is just boring. That's the last of them anyway. It's time to go. Aye, aye, Val. Ugh. I cannot get rid of this eye patch soon enough. Stein gave a little chuckle. In a way, those two were still kids, and watching them rib each other was, well, endearing. In a, these are the two most dangerous people in Appalachia kind of way. Lilith took another big bite out of the hunk of meat and walked through the gate, while Stein walked over to his old suit of X-01 power armor and climbed on board. Cindy wiped her brow and tried to look less nervous, while Valeria did a check of her service rifle before slinging it over her shoulder and taking one last look back at the White Spring. She could see a group of children watching them from a distance. One of them, a young boy, saw Valeria and gave her a salute. She smiled and gave him a salute back. It was a small reminder of what she was fighting for. As the colonel left to join the column marching south, the eyes of the Kovac followed them. However, there were other eyes watching as well. Along the ridge overlooking the White Spring, under a camouflaged tarp, a set of binoculars were trained on the road below. About 100 or so total. Count at least two dozen Brahmin, and about 12 suits of power armor, all heading south. I need to know where she's going. Follow at a safe distance, and don't get caught. Understood? Yes. Overseer. Over and out. The new enclave is going to war. Almost a year to the day when Vault 76 opened, its children have set off to defeat the Scorched once and for all. As the colonel marches off to meet her destiny, other forces are beginning to rise in Appalachia. Thank you again, members, for joining us here on The Modus Files. If you've enjoyed this content, please subscribe. And better yet, please leave a review to help others find our little enclave. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Modus Files, for more information about our podcast, Fallout 76 content, and random musings on the enclave. I'd also like to thank our cast, Pandora Beatrix as Lieutenant Colonel Valeria, Scald as Major Lilith, X-01 King as Captain Stein, Maria Cheshire as Corporal Cindy, Mandy Marie B. as Lieutenant Anderson, Keith McLean as Sergeant Tyson, Austin Rogers as Corporal Jones and Sergeant Die, Wasteland Man as Charmer, Cool Mentions at twitch.tv forward slash cool mentions as Mac, Aaron Foster as Marshall, Ryan Negrin as Day, Mary Catalopetes Saunders Meeks underscore 12 as the Overseer, and Brad Williams as the Voice of Modus and Sergeant Muller. We'd like to thank the Mr. Jones Show for providing our podcast cover art. You can find him on Twitter at Blanken Media. And a shout out to the Apocalyptic Aristocracy Discord, home to a great group of fellow creators, the Robots Radio Podcast Community and the rest of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, and Jeremiah Johnson, our favorite character artist, who provided the wonderful character artwork you can find on our website. Stay tuned for our next episode, our Season 1 finale, Battle of the Bog. Lastly, Thank you to all of our subscribers and supporters. God bless the Enclave, and God bless America. Members, we look forward to your next visit to our little Enclave.